Welcome to In Conversation with Our Food Future, the podcast series that's following the creation of Canada's modern circular food economy in Guelph and Wellington County. I'm David Messer, manager of the Circular Opportunity Innovation Launchpad, or COIL, a sister project to our Our Food Future program focused on growing circular businesses. On today's program, we'll learn more about COIL's efforts to build a living lab to help businesses across Southern Ontario bring their circular ideas to life, on their own and often in collaboration with other businesses and social enterprises. We'll also chat with a fast-growing Canadian food business that's drawing on several COIL programs to help them meet their sustainability and growth goals. So pour a cup of tea, let's pull up our chairs around the kitchen table and get the conversation started. Our first guest is Molly Freems. Molly is COIL's program advisor leading the Circulate CoLab and other business accelerator initiatives under COIL. Uh, she's worked in community food sovereignty, political agroecology, uh, ecological economics, and redistributive justice. Prior to COIL, Molly led programs and events at Evergreen around youth-led design thinking, decolonizing city building, and affordable housing. She co-chaired the Toronto Tool Library and the Ibri Makerspace. Welcome, Molly. Thanks, Dave. Great to be here. <laughs> you have uh, lots of experience sort of working in, in social change and um, uh, urban, urban uh, innovation. So tell us what attracted you to working with COIL and a bit about what you do here. I think the major attraction point, both for myself and probably a lot of folks on our team, is the systems-based uh, model that we seem to be using, or at least experimenting with. So whether we're talking about uh, like data and technology or waste reduction or um, GHG emissions, equity, community engagement, business acceleration and leadership, none of them seem to happen in any sort of silo. And I think that's like imperfect and messy and it's a constant evolution. Um, but I think we're somehow able to capture at least some of it because we don't try to do it independently. The city and the county work in collaboration. Um, and I think we're quite honest about what we don't know and what we can't hold in-house. And, and that honesty is kind of refreshing in the space, to be honest. Um, and then as for the second part of your question, my role as the program advisor, I think, is actually less about just like giving funding or funding projects and good work, um, but more about like bringing or supporting initiatives that are bringing new jobs, new IP, literal new models and processes that are kind of like changing the game um, in terms of like how we can actually build a more resilient economy. Yeah, and in the years since we've launched COIL, um, Obviously, you know, we've introduced a lot of different opportunities for businesses and social enterprises. Um, I like to think of it as we're offering a, a continuum that has something for kind of every business, no matter your stage or sort of the part of the, the food and environment sector you're in. Um, can you quickly walk us through how businesses are getting involved in COIL at the various different uh, program levels? Yeah, absolutely. I think we we definitely did try to build um, a program suite that just like is, like you said, Dave, is trying to meet orgs exactly where they're at. Um, and all of the details of anything that's discussed today can be found on our website at coil.eco or ECO. Um, so some are coming in 
uh, sort of like as startups or early development stages, and they're a really good fit for our Evolve pre-accelerator program. Um, and the applications for those are actually open until April 18th. Um, and then others are coming in with like a bit more of a developed or deeper experience in circular economy specifically, or they're um, just in a further development stage and they're looking to fold in like a circular transition into their work. Um, and they go into our accelerator program, uh, which we'll be launching again in the fall. Um, we also have a, a repurpose incubator, and that's sort of like a subsidized auditing process uh, with new product development that comes out of it with our partners at Anthesis Provision. Um, and those spots are actually being accepted on a rolling basis. Um, and then we have Collab, which I work on directly, and it's a pretty cool kind of like collaborative sandbox, if you will, of like a space to kind of co-create something. Um, and, and I think the real purpose is to have like a larger industry scale impact. Um, so while there's a like a 20K grant available for Collab participants, um, there is an additional 100K to be sort of building that out into a larger year-long demonstration projects. And so when people ask me about the Collab specifically, I think I try to challenge them not to think about um, like that 10K or 20K constraint, but like if I could do something big and systems moving with 100K, how is that 20K? 16-week project going to get me there. Um, and then finally, we see a lot of businesses coming through not just our programs, but our broader toolkit. Um, and that can also be found on our website. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's really, there's a, a bunch of different places where we're trying to connect with businesses. And, and I think to your point, um, we love it when businesses reach out and we can try and find ways to help them, even if, you know, they don't necessarily know what, what might be a good fit. Um, so you talk to a lot of businesses um, at, when they reach out to us and then ones that are actually involved in our programs. What are you hearing about them and, and what's surprising about, about the, their work with mentors and advisors to become more involved in the circular economy? Uh, one thing I hear a lot of is um, sort of like thinking and then rethinking communication. So it's really, it, it can be a challenge, I think, to capture the complexity of circularity, um, and then figure out how are you communicating that to your potential investors, to your partners, to your funders, and to the general public or your clients. Um, and so that's something that I think a lot of our program participants have, have learned quite a bit through our program and through our mentorship, especially with Innovation Guelph mentors. Um, second, I think there was this great line um, from a business I heard the, just last week Someone who went through our pre-accelerator program and was thinking about applying to another program about you can always do more. So this was somebody who entered the program thinking, you know, my model is just about as circular as you can get. And through the program started to see other um, gaps, but mainly opportunities for how to go a lot deeper into that. Um, and then I think the third one is a bit more of a personal one for me of like wanting to see uh, I think like a deeper acknowledgement and support of like different cultural and economic reasons for going quote unquote circular, whether folks are calling it circular or not. Um, so it's always really exciting to see the, the breadth of folks who are excited about circularity from like an environmental commitment alone, but thinking about 
like resources and, and waste and future impact are central to different indigenous communities across Turtle Island and the world all over. Um, and then things like canning, preserving, um, repair, upcycling, those are things that sort of either like low income households or earlier generations have, have done just out of necessity. And so um, I always want to be honoring and supporting that leadership as well. Yeah. And, and a lot of that, I think to your point is, you know, helping businesses that have unlearned a lot of this stuff that used to be totally common in how you work and, and reinventing that for, you know, new modern industries. Absolutely. And with that, let's hear from one of our recent participants. Greenhouse Juice is one of Canada's largest manufacturers of organic cold-pressed juice and a recent participant in Coil's Circulate Collab Challenge. Anthony Green is co-founder and CEO. Anthony has led Greenhouse's growth from a single location store in Toronto to a rapidly growing, vertically integrated consumer packaged goods beverage business. Prior to the launch of Greenhouse, Anthony was a multi-award winning filmmaker. He has directed documentaries on musicians, including the Rolling Stones and Beyonce, and has won recognition from festivals around the world for his short films. Anthony holds a BFA from NYU and an MSc from the London School of Economics. Welcome, Anthony. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Awesome. Great to be here, David. To start, um, can you tell us a little bit more about Greenhouse and the challenge you presented way back um, in, I guess, October during your, your pitch to get into the, the CoLab program? For sure. Uh, so Greenhouse is a company we started now eight years ago, uh, myself and some co-founders. And uh, over the years, we've become a vertically integrated business. And that's meant that manufacturing has really become a, uh, a key part of uh, our, our core competency. Um, and we've always, um, you know, looked for creative technical solutions and challenges we have in terms of keeping our our core principles and values intact as we scale the business, whether that's new ways of, of, of processing uh, the produce in ways that, uh, you know, keep our organic certifications intact to how we extend our shelf life in, in, in the most environmentally efficient ways. And um, and one thing as we've scaled, something that has become overtly abundant to us and, and obvious to us has just been the, the amount of um, byproduct that we have coming off of our, our, our production. Um, and so we're now at a point where we're coming in on almost 100 tons a year um, of, of fibrous byproduct that, um, that is, uh, basically that's, it's, it's, um, well, if it's, if it's apples, you're thinking of, think of like the pumice, uh, and, and so we, we, we exert a lot of hydraulic pressure onto, onto, uh, say this applesauce, but at the end of the day, there's still, um, there's still a lot of, uh, fiber left and, and we weren't certain prior to this project, but we had a we had an instinct that there was still um, a lot of nutritional value left in that in that byproduct. And so it was with sort of that challenge um, that Dr. Banush Maharani, who is our director of R and D here at Greenhouse, um, approached Coil with this challenge, wanting to. Um, and she was looking for a vehicle, a framework, a structure within which she could. Um, solve this problem um and uh and so uh i really you know owe it to her own uh, initiative and tenacity to that she that she found uh this program and 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 
and brought this problem forward. Yeah, and our listeners might not know that, you know, Greenhouse went through this whole process, came up with some pretty cool solutions at the end, and in fact, um, was the winner of our first collab challenge. So you'll now, with that, move on to the demonstration project stage with an additional $100,000 in funding to move the concept forward um, in the next month. So can you tell us a little bit about sort of where you got to at the end and what you're expecting to do sort of in a demonstration project? Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, so we were afforded sort of this, um, I believe it was 12 or 16 week period. Uh, and and we were, uh, and that period was funded, uh, we were given $20,000. Um, and and Benush uh, used, uh, used that money, uh, basically first to validate some of the, the hypothesis around what nutritional value re- remained in some of the some of our key commodities coming off of our line. Uh, and then from there, uh, she was looking at, we were, we were basically exploring different ways that we could uh, reduce the amount of liquid. We basically wanted to, to bring down the moisture content in, in the product, but also increase the soluble fiber. And so we were both looking at uh, different ways of drying the product, but also different, uh, different processes, specifically enzymatic processes, in fact, to increase solubility, uh, the amount of soluble fiber in the product. All of this sort of ramping up uh, some of the nutritional value, some of the within the product. So we we were basically looking at fiber content, mineral content, vitamins, prebiotics, flavonoids, poly, polyphenols, and uh, and so it was with that work that um, uh, that it got us sort of to, that got us sort of the next phase. So yeah, we were looking at the nutritional profile uh, from fiber to minerals, vitamins, prebiotics, flavonoids, polyphenols, and uh, and really uh, that combined with sort of the drying process, the enzymatic process, really coming to a, a proof of concept that hey, we've got a way in which to migrate what r- right now is effectively a hundred, nearly a hundred tons of of. of produce byproduct, uh, semi-processed produce byproduct that effectively we're having a send-off. Um, mainly it's going away uh, to um, uh, for, for animal feed at, the, at this time. And, uh, and we thought there was w- really a way to upcycle, up, upcycle this further into being uh, a potentially a phenomenal uh, ingredient or even a finished product. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so by the end of that project, um, Benush was able to validate that we, in fact, there was incredible nutritional value and, and unique profiles within each of the commodities, of course. Um, and, uh, and so now, um, we were, uh, we were really excited when, uh, of course we, um, won the ability to, to pr- take this sort of, some of these learnings to the next step. Uh, to basically to the demonstration level, and so effectively at this point now, um, we we've learned that there are um, there are a whole lot of nuances from a commodity to commodity basis about uh, so what ginger say requires versus spinach um, from uh, an enzymatic treatment perspective from a drying perspective is slightly different and starting to dial in those varying the, the recipes if you will. Um, within this process is 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 a is a big part of of this next phase. But we really are hoping to get to a pilot level where we are able to within within twelve months from now convert uh, the majority of our byproduct into 
uh, into something that uh, is either uh, a, uh, an ingredient that could be used within other uh, food products, food or beverage products, or in fact, a final product in of itself. Um, and so that's looking at everything from bars to bakery products um, and different even meal products, supplement products. So uh, we're looking at the, the whole gamut and figuring out where where does this incredible sort of powderized plant product uh, fit in? That's awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was and at, at the review stage, it was it was really exciting to see the uh, the potential the results that you got for each product and then, you know, where it could potentially go on a really kind of clear pathway. That was exciting. And, you know, one of Coil's goals is around developing projects and, and solutions and, and IP that can scale forward and, and not just support one business, but support sectors and, and a range of businesses to make the whole economy more circular. So, how do you envision the results of your demonstration projects, you know, being able to potentially help not just greenhouse, but but other businesses across the economy, too? Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> I mean, food waste, I mean, 100 billion, sorry, 100 tons sounds like a lot on one level, but it's in fact just, a, you know, a, a, a tiny, tiny drop in the bucket in this much, much larger problem, which is food waste in Canada. Uh, and in fact, it's a $50 billion pro- problem here in, in the country and, and about 22% uh, it's estimated that that problem happens already at the farm level. So before it's even gone through uh, supply chains and made it to grocery, where um, you know another 34% of, of the problem happens at the processing level. So we're now well over 50% happens before it even makes its way to the consumer, right? And and so there is there are a lot of really significant industrial waste streams where perfectly good. Um, um, raw materials, agricultural products um, don't make it don't make it to uh, to human mouths, and and that's really um, you know that's really a, a significant significant issue um, as as we consider much broader issues like the carrying capacity of the planet with the, you know with its increasing population and and and, and the ability to to get real whole. Uh, uh, nutritional profiles uh, in, in into that population, and so we're really we're excited about what kind of the IP that could exist that um, that can help um, you know with with that over fifty percent that 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 is wasted before it even has a chance to get onto onto shelves. We're really excited about how IP like this um, could start turning uh, turning that waste into. Uh, another potential viable product um, that has shelf life. That is, um, you know, what's really neat about this stuff too is while the nutrient density is there, um, you know, we're almost concentrating it, in fact, with this technology. So you're, you're getting rid of a lot of the, uh, the waste, the water. Um, and so it becomes, you get shelf life and you get a sort of a concentrate, if you will, as well. So from a transport uh, perspective as well, supply chain perspective, you, uh, you kind of give this thing a much longer life, a much easier way to transport the uh, the, the energy-giving uh, properties of of the produce in the first place. So there's a, there's there's you know really we're we're only at the beginning of of what's possible here, but we uh, we definitely think that um, the work that uh, that we're doing um, definitely has a lot of transferability to to other sectors. Yeah. I, I love the energy when you talk about this. It's uh, it's amazing, and and I think that's part of this work that's so exciting is that the people involved in this are all so passionate, not just to 
you know, grow a business, but they see the better piece for for the world. Um, and, and every little piece sort of adds up to something more. And it's awesome. So I want to wrap up the discussion today by asking you both to share uh, about a memorable meal, a family or cultural food tradition or connection to the land and growing food that's meaningful to you. And can you reflect a bit on that experience and how you think that adds to your own personal passion about reimagining a better food system? So Molly, do you want to start? Sure. Uh, that's a great question. Um I have a weirdly distinct memory of growing like my very first tomato, my very first anything really. And I was seven years old and I was so jazzed, like unbelievably stoked that I just like, I started writing about it. I talked to anybody who would literally care to listen to me about it. And honest to goodness, I don't think I've stopped since like I still grow and I still talk about food incessantly. So that that's a big thing. But I think I'm particularly grateful for that experience because I grew up in like midtown Toronto. And I think it's hard to develop relationships to land and to food when you live in like a quote unquote or a concrete jungle. Um, and I think it speaks volumes to sort of like the privileges that I had growing up and, and how I was able to have that experience. But it also then serves as like a pretty um, potent reminder to sort of like push back against, you know, pretty strong forces of colonization, capitalism, all of these things that sort of remove us, like Dave was saying, from, from those connections. Um, and then ensuring that they're, like, accessible and retained for, for all communities. And Anthony, uh, how about you? That's awesome. I, I think it, it, it's it's sort of related, a cousin of, of Molly's um, in so far. So I've, I've got two little daughters at home. One is four, one is one and a half uh, last fall, I took them apple picking and, and that, you know, the chance to actually, you know, take a fruit off a tree. And again, as, as you know, these are, we're, these are girls growing up in downtown Toronto um, and, and to, to, you know, to see that connection, that mental connection in their minds of this is where apples come from. And, and that, um, I think is is often uh, you know we we miss that connection too often, and so I think that there's there's huge opportunity, um, you know, as you know, we see a, a, a greenhouse in really um, bringing people closer again to uh, to our food systems um, and how precious they are, how incredible they are, um, how fascinating they are, and uh, and and seeing you know for me seeing that again through through my my four-year-old's eyes um, just reminded me of that. And, and, you know, I think, you know, I think a lot of the industrial food complex is, is incredible um, in its efficiency, but I think at, at, at a certain, at a certain point we've lost touch with as well, just the value of, of, of food and, and uh, you know, food, um, good food, unfortunately um, uh, isn't inexpensive. And, uh, and so, so finding finding the balance of really educating what what good food is um, that you know we it might make more sense to to invest more in what we put into our body than into our fuel tank um, are like are, are really important notions uh, around greenhouse and that my my little my little girls are reminding me more and more about every day so uh, I hope that's helpful. No, that's that's great. Thanks so much to you both for being here today. Thank you. 
thanks so much to our guests today, Molly Freems, Program Advisor with COIL, and Anthony Green from Greenhouse Juice. I'm Dave Messer, Manager of COIL, and today's host of In Conversation with Our Food Future. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any ideas or sh- for the show or comments, you can email us at foodfuture@guelph.ca. You can learn more about all of our programs at foodfuture.ca or coil.eco. And until next time, let's keep the conversation going. See you soon.